1: Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply.
0: My gosh, you boys already know. I'm
2: not letting that Ramsey boy come over and play until you clean up your rooms.
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> I'm Joe's mom's Sabre Doug, and as you know, I am all about continuous improvement. In fact, I've been making a list for this podcast of the ways we could be much, much better. Tops on the list is we could have certified financial planner Sophia Barra on to help us talk about outdated financial strategies. Wait, what's that? Oh, you gotta be sh me, really? Wow. On today's show, we welcome Sophia Barra. What are the odds? Plus, from Afford Anything, we welcome Paula Pant. And from this podcast, OG. Oh yeah, and plus, we'll magnify someone's money situation, throw out an amazing trivia question, and in our Friday FinTech segment, what if your health were better? Could you make more money? Joining us from MetPro, we welcome Angelo Poli. And now, the guy whose idea of an ideal diet always involves Fritos and Bluebell ice cream, Joe Sea.
0: And isn't that the way to start a weekend? Oh man, Fritos and Bluebell, but not at the same time. That's an abomination. Hey there everybody, I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Welcome to Friday and we have an action-packed show for you. Let's start across the card table from me as we introduced our gang of uh, merry people to the show. Mr. OG,
3: can you believe it's already the end of the first quarter? Spring is here. Everybody is uh, happy, full of cheer. The trees are blooming. The flowers are blooming. What a wonderful time! And you of skip. The year. You
0: skip to the ah, mic. I did it. Woo. <laughs> you what? <laughs> I said I did it. I made it all rhyme. <laughs> it's so painful. Is that is that what the original gangsta does? Makes it all rhyme.
3: Make it it rhyme.
0: Yes. And hopefully uh, to make this a little less awkward in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, it's our good friend Paula Pant.
2: He's making it rhyme. I'm making it rain because, you know, April showers bring May flowers sort of a thing. So, you know, the rain. Except I live in the desert, so it's not actually raining here.
0: If April showers bring May flowers, Paula, what do May flowers bring? Oh, May flowers bring bring pilgrims. Bam! She got it. Absolutely. And uh, groaning, I believe, in in (laughs) Austin, Texas, it's our good friend, Sophia Barrow, who we finally got on the show. It's about time.
4: Yay. I'm so glad to be here, you guys. Uh, I didn't realize there was going to be a lot of puns and dad jokes happening, so I don't feel prepared, but I'm uh, thrilled to be on the show. This is so fun, you guys. Sophia, have you listened to the show? (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, it's been a while, so I forgot how ridiculous all of you are. And in combination only encourage each other, which is even more fabulous. And uh,
0: and it's, it's, and it's only going to get worse from here. So before it gets bad, tell everybody (laughs) about Gen Y planning, about your company.
4: Yeah, I'm Sophia. I run the company Gen Y planning. I'm a Minneapolis girl and I currently live in Austin, Texas, but I'm getting ready to head to South America for a few months and I work virtually with millennials and young Gen Xers across the country. One thing that's unique about how I work with my clients is I charge a upfront planning fee followed by a monthly retainer. So it doesn't matter how much you have in terms of assets. I tend to work with a lot of clients that are high-income earners and are navigating a lot of big financial decisions and life events, such as getting engaged, getting married, moving, having kiddos. And I get to be on their team to help people use their money to match their values to live a great life.
0: That is so awesome. How. Yeah, Paula. can I
2: jump in and say I'm spending five weeks, almost six weeks in Austin, Texas, and Sophia is leaving the minute that I show up. <laughs> Literally. Um,
3: <laughs> What's that tell you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I come to Austin, Texas, and like two days later, Sophia is just like, I'm out of here.
4: Uh, how about this last weekend that I was in Vegas and you yeah. weren't in Vegas, and we crossed like ships in the night. Oh, oh, my right. goodness. Sophia <laughs> sends me a text and she's like, I'm in Vegas. And I text her
2: back and say, I'm in New York.
4: You get, uh, we're, we're just is
0: this, missing each other, Paula. Are are, are are we about to have this out? Are you guys going to share some like why you miss each other stories? Oh,
4: like, well, really? Um, no. Well, two years ago, I came to Vegas to hang out with Paula for my birthday, which was super fun. That
0: was fun. That is yeah. awesome. Well, I invited you all on so I could hang out with everybody right here today with all of our yeah. listeners and you. Hey, Sophia, you ever think about making all your mad skills better?
4: Yes. Which skills
0: are you talking about, Joe? I'm, I'm talking about whether it's your digital photography skills, maybe, maybe, uh-huh. maybe financial planning skills, maybe business skills. I don't know. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Paula, that just, that didn't work.
2: (laughs) You know, I think trivia should include guesses on who the sponsor is. Uh, On who it's going to be. uh, No, you like you, cue it up, and then we'll all take a guess on who we think the sponsor is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacky Benjamin's. Skillshare's offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes. Sophia, 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to skillshare.com slash SB. That's skillshare.com slash SB. Big thanks to Skillshare. We've got a great show today. We're going to be talking about outdated financial ideas. So let's get the party started.
4: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines.
0: Our headline today comes to us from money crashers. I don't think, Paula, we've had something from money crashers in a long time. It's been a while. This article is really good. Yeah, I thought so too. This is written by G. Brian Davis. Outdated money advice, 12 financial assumptions you should reconsider. And I thought I thought we'd just walk through all of these. One by one, the piece starts out by saying what was true thirty years ago isn't necessarily true today. Few people would agree that cassette tapes produce the best possible sound or leg warmers are the height of fashion. Really? Oh, geez, wearing leg warmers right now, and like technology, fashion, cultural values, and just about everything else in life, financial wisdom changes over time. So let's go over. These 12 or as many as we can get to first, uh, Sophia, we'll start with you. Do you agree with this one? Uh, Brian here says that more education is better is an outdated idea. True or false?
4: I think that's true. I think that people need to really be thoughtful about how they go about getting higher education and how they decide for that. There's a lot of companies now that'll help pay for you to get more education another certificate, another degree or whatnot. But I do think that, you know, especially because I work with a lot of young lawyers, for example, that are coming out of school with six figures in student loan debt. And it really is significant to be saddled with that amount of student loan debt when you're new in your career and also took time out of the workforce to get that degree. So I think that there's a lot of ways that we can go about higher education. And I would really caution people before they start a grad program or whatnot to really consider what is the job that I really want to have, and maybe there's a different way to go about getting that role or getting into that industry. Um, and I would start by interviewing people in that profession and seeing how well they like their careers and how they would go about getting their job if they were to start over again.
0: Oh, gee, I want to parse what what Sophia is saying. What I think I hear saying, I think what she's really saying is, make sure the degree's worth it. Because really, more education or the degree. Yeah, it's the
3: juice worth the squeeze. I think that education and learning are two different things. You always want to be learning new things and improving your skills and moving toward you know better productivity and that sort of stuff in your career and life. But that doesn't always necessarily have to turn into an actual degree program. And of course, um, on the heels of all that nonsense from a couple weeks ago about colleges, it can be a little disheartening to get through the whole college program to find out that you... You know, you owe hundred thousand dollars in student loans, and your job is a sixty five thousand dollars a year job type of thing. So, it's really important to be intentional, especially when you start thinking about additional degrees on top of whatever else you already have.
0: Yeah, but uh, Sophia, I'm guessing then you probably counsel people on doing the ROI ahead of time.
4: Yeah, you know, it's really fun because I I get to help people navigate through the best way to you know, navigate through a MBA program or whatnot. So sometimes they get to be on their team to help them do that. And other times they come to me because it's a great new job, but they also are saddled with significant debt and they're figuring out what's the best way to pay off their student loans, grow their career and whatnot. So I really like what OG had to say in terms of education being very different from a degree program because we always want to learn new skills and improve our skill set, And there's a lot of different ways to go about it, whether that's an online course or reading certain books. But I think that we really have to take a hard look on whether or not that higher education makes sense based on uh, the career that we want.
0: But this push for a degree, Paula, it seems like it's kind of really ingrained in our culture. Uh, Your family, when you were growing Mm -hmm. up, did your family really, were they into the whole degree thing? Oh,
2: big time. I mean, my parents, I think, are still, in spite of all of my accomplishments, they are still disappointed in me for not having gone to grad school. and Well, and because uh, you appear
0: on this show every week. I mean, let's be
2: real. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, literally to the point where my my dad, I graduated from my undergrad with honors and my dad actually said to me, he said, well, what's the point if you're not going to go to grad school? Like He's that level of disappointed in me. And I think it comes from this place, particularly I'm South Asian. We're a Nepalese family, Nepalese immigrants, first generation immigrants. And particularly in that culture, formal education and a diploma is it's almost viewed as a matter of faith. Nobody's calculating the ROI on it. It's it's your reason
0: for being. So it's beyond Um, ROI. Like there's no the ROI is because you should.
2: Exactly. But it's chicken and egg, right? The idea of because you should was probably formed from a time when education was the only way out. You know, a time when we were, you know, my grandparents were farmers, like my grandfather, not not the fancy farmers who own their own land. My grandfather was a tenant farmer. And so when you have no assets and no nothing he, you know, no education, uh, no real literacy. I mean, he could read and write his own name, but he he could never like read a book or anything. Education is the only way to advance in that type of a context, and so that idea gets passed down as religious dogma, and and that was the way that I learned it. To in my family growing up going to graduate school was religious dogma. It was not something that you ever questioned. And to this day, despite the fact that I have a very successful business, it is still a source of shame.
0: So we have a long, long way to go, I think, in dispelling yeah. this this myth. Number two on this list is you should pay off your student loans before buying your house. OG, do you think that's uh, true or false? Is that one we should be getting rid of?
3: I think the way student loans are now, especially if you're in that... 50, 60, 80, 100, $300,000, boy, I think it's really foolish to add another three or $400,000 of debt on top of that. I don't know if you have to have it paid off, but there's a big world of difference between coming out of school and maybe you got a car loan or something like that. And now you all of a sudden you have eight or $900 a month of student loan payments. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to now on top of that, then afford another $2,500 a month of a mortgage payment. I mean. But they're mathematically, saying mathematically maybe you can do it, but boy, it's a whole different level of stress.
0: Yeah, they're, well, and they're saying here it's the other way around. They're saying that it's okay to have your student loan still and buy a house at the same time.
3: Yeah, I'm saying no. That's a I, I don't like that idea. I mean, sometimes it's it happens, and you got to dig your way out of it. But I think I think that we see way more people who wish that they wouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, Sophia, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I have a lot of clients that still have student loans and own their homes. I really focus on paying off the highest interest rate debt first and also the amount of loans that you have. So I would totally agree. If you have six figures in student loan debt, I really caution clients before buying a home and really encourage them to try to get an aggressive handle on paying those highest interest rate student loans off first I do have quite a few clients that have student loans that are in the three to four percent interest range that also own homes and are just you know kind of slowly paying off their student loans other over time and and also navigating through other financial goals as well. I really like the idea of eliminating that student loan debt sooner rather than later. I'm but that's me being more um, debt averse, and I have to understand that that bias going in. So as the financial planner. My clients may not have the same debt aversion that I do.
0: Well, and it's almost becomes, if it's low interest rate debt, a cash flow issue, then, right? I mean, can you handle it cash flow wise?
4: Right. And sometimes there's a spouse that also has student loans, and then it's do we really want two, you know, multiple student loan payments? But other times it might be a dual income earning couple where it's actually a very manageable amount to be able to cash flow. Paula, I tend
0: to agree with Sophia and OG. I think this might've been of the 12 on this list, the shakiest one.
2: Mm. See, I'm of the opinion that at the end of the day, your obligations are your obligations. So regardless of whether that, that monthly financial obligation is a student loan payment versus the amount that you have to spend on groceries or utilities or any of the other inescapable necessities at the end of the day, your fixed obligations are X and your income is Y. And whether or not there's enough space in between that, that you could reasonably add in another obligation depends on the gap between X and
0: Y. Yeah, but you tend to agree with this then because paying off your student loans means reducing that obligation that has to come out. Well, so does never eating groceries again.
2: But I mean, I don't think that uh, vilifying any one specific line item is the solution. I think that the gap between X and Y is
0: what matters. But you have a choice to take on a bigger mortgage, to take on a huge mortgage. When it comes to groceries, you don't, I mean, okay, to some degree you can choose whether you're eating Aldi or Whole Foods, but mm-hmm. but, but you really don't have a choice around eating. I mean, eat or not eat.
2: Well, that's true. But I mean, when we talk about a mortgage, You know, you can get a mortgage that would be exactly the same or less than what you would pay in rent, depending on what part of the country you live in, or you can get a huge mortgage, right? So we're not talking about, you know, mortgage is such a generic term that it does not indicate what level of financial stress it might put on a person. In fact, for many people, when they get a mortgage, their monthly obligation for housing goes down. You know, when when they get a mortgage, all of a sudden they're paying less than they would in rent or they have the ability to Airbnb their spare room, which they couldn't do when they lived under the the auspices of a landlord who had a prohibition
0: against that. I wish people thought about it that much. Well, that's why they listen to this show. That's that's right. I'm not talking about our listeners. I'm just saying people in general. Number three, let's stick with you though, Paula. Buying is always better than renting. We all heard this one 5,000 bajillion times. I think the mortgage industry loves to tell us that we're, quote, throwing money away when we're renting.
2: Yeah. So the most controversial blog post I have ever written was one in which I, it was a 6,000 word, very detailed post in which I poked holes at this assumption that buying is always better than renting. You need to do the math. A lot of it's going to depend on the price to rent ratios of the place in which you live. It's going to depend on the amount of time that you think that you'll be there or at least the amount of time that you're going to hold on to that home. It's going to depend on whether or not there's an HOA. It's going to depend on the difference in utility payments and other repair, maintenance, upkeep payments. There are a lot of variables that are going to affect whether buying or renting is better in your specific situation. And so to have this blanket one is better than the other, is oversimplified.
0: You can tell what money nerds we all are, because when you're like a 5,000-word treatise on buying versus renting, we're all like, oh, man! (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's got pitchforks. They're all upset about buy versus rent.
2: People are so upset because people just say, well, you're throwing your money away. But I mean, when you have a mortgage, the interest taxes, homeowners insurance, and HOA, that's also money that you're throwing away, right? The yeah. principal portion is equity that you're building, but not the remainder of it. So it really boils down to doing the math, you know, and it boils down to if you are paying extra for the mortgage, what's the opportunity cost in that? If you had invested that money instead, number one, would you actually invest that money? And if so, how would you do it? And what projected returns could you get? Like, there's so many variables to think about.
0: Oh, gee.
3: I think it's really important to know, Paula, what you said there, because it's not just simply the line item of of housing costs. You know, it's not, well, my rent's 1200 my mortgage is 1150 so this is a better deal mm-hmm. because as all homeowners, we know that all of a sudden, the you know, you need something for the house and it's not a $50 a month linear difference. It's, oh crap, we had 100 mile an hour winds and my fence blew down and it's 15000 And I can't not do that today. So it's not as simple as just saying, well, my rent payment is this. But I like what you said about all those other ancillary costs, too. And I think especially going into a home ownership for the first time, not only are there the extra costs that you don't really appreciate, like you got bigger square footage, maybe. So now it just costs more to heat or cool it. But then there's also all the stuff that you inherently do the minute you buy a house. Like, yes. oh, oh, my goodness, look, I want new blinds. And you go around and you say they're only three hundred dollars a window. And you count up the windows, and you go, crap, I have twenty six of those in my house, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or smoke detectors or, so, you know, it's just like little things like that that you just automatically do when you move into a new home, you want to furnish it or something. And and I think that's where and Sophia, maybe you can expand on it a little bit, too, but that's where I see a lot of people fall down on the calculation part is they just look at it singularly on, you know, my rent payment versus my house payment. This is a better deal, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into it.
4: Yes. I have so many thoughts here. You know, one thing that I think is really interesting is that all of my clients are always, telling me, oh, this unexpected thing came up. Oh, and then we wanted to do this renovation. Oh, and then it cost this amount for landscaping. Oh, and then, you know, we needed to get the roof fixed. And there's a lot of, a lot of repairs and a lot of maintenance that go into homeownership that I think a lot of people, especially first-time homebuyers are ill-prepared for. But the other thing is to think about how buying will change your current lifestyle. And by that, I mean, for example, I live in Austin. I love where I live. I live in a really walkable area. I actually don't have a car here. I walk down the street every morning to get a cup of coffee. You know, there's yoga studios within walking distance. There's a pool. There's a gym across the hall for me. And I really like the community, If I were to buy here, I would probably buy further from downtown, further from the east side. I would need a car. I would need, I'd be in a different neighborhood. I would have to worry about repairs and or landscaping and things like that. One thing that I notice a lot, like a mistake that people make is kind of buying so far out of their community that they no longer, that they have a longer commute, which is one of the things that often decreases happiness levels. So by having a shorter commute, for example, there's often like if you move closer to where your job is, you often have an increase in your happiness level. That's pretty significant. So people move out of their community where maybe their yoga studio is or their gym is or whatnot. Friends, they don't see the just same their, people,
0: just their friends. Yeah. yeah,
4: exactly. So I really think that, the big thing that doesn't get factored in here is how will this change your lifestyle? What kind of time, how is my time going to be affected by this purchase? And do I want to take on those additional layers of stress that owning a home adds these additional layers of complexity to our lives?
0: Yeah. We tend to underplay all those. Like we're like, no, 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 but it's a better house. Right. You don't understand. I have a microwave drawer. It's way better. (laughs) Right. Uh, unfortunately we're about out of time but i want to i want to go through because we wow we got to 3 out of 12 nice job guys the <laughs> <laughs> there's 9 here left and i thought we could peel off each peel off one of these That is also another piece that uh, Brian here says is outdated money advice. And I'm going to read them all first. Number four is your homes an investment. Number five is you should spend 25 to 30% of your income on housing. Once again, he's saying these are not true anymore. Number six is you should put at least 20% down on a house. Number seven, you should put the bare minimum down on a house. Number eight, you should pay off your mortgage ASAP. Number nine, you should keep six to 12 months expenses in your emergency fund. Number 10, you shouldn't discuss money with friends and family. Number 11, it's better to pay with a debit card than a credit card. And number 12 is your asset allocation should be 100 minus your age. Paula, of all those nine, which one to you is the most egregious one that people should stay away from?
2: Ooh, um, the idea that your home, your primary personal residence is an investment. That idea has led a lot of people astray. Stay how, away from that one. big how, time. How so? Your home does not put cash in your pocket every month, and therefore it's not an investment. Or to, to say that in a slightly different way, before purchasing it, did you calculate the return on investment? Did, did you calculate the cap rate or the internal rate of return or the present value of future dollars? Did you run any of those calculations? No, no. Then it's not an investment.
0: Even if they did all those things, Paula, I also still not an investment. I also think, do you still want to have to move to achieve your goal? Like you have this house that you've got all these emotional attachments to. Do you really want to, to have to move to, you know, make your, uh, make your next, I don't know, uh, live your next month of your retirement? OG, of the eight that are left, which one of these do you want to peel off? Well, there's a number of them. I'm going to go with
3: the cash reserve or emergency fund one. This one's kind of boring, but I think we're seeing it a little bit more and more now, especially going on, what, about 10 years of the market going pretty much straight up, is we look at our cash positions and we think of them as wasted money, wasted opportunity that... You know, I make $50,000 a year, so I've got $25,000 in my savings account doing nothing, earning stupid 2%, yet the market's doing 8% a month. You know, what the hell? How come I shouldn't just get that money invested? This, I think, is the bedrock for all of your other financial decisions. We were talking about debt before, but if you have no debt and you have a big, solid emergency fund, all of the rest of life from an investment standpoint becomes a lot easier to do. A lot of people want to do the top of the pyramid stuff when it comes to investing. We want to talk about cool private equity deals or IPOs or whatever. And it's often the boring stuff that works the best. And when it comes to really boring stuff, you got to build the foundation correctly to begin with. And the foundation for investing is making sure that you've got enough money to sustain an emergency without having to dive back into your retirement plan or your investing plan, because you, know, you need new tires or something like that. So... Keep your cash reserve fully funded.
0: Well, and that's all that Paula ever wants to talk about is these private equity placements and IPOs. Before before we started recording today, we couldn't get her to stop. We're like, stop. Just enough. Enough. Uh, Sophia. Who's buying the Peloton IPO with me, though? I'm going to. But you're doing that for fun. And
3: oh, yeah, totally.
0: Yes. And to make sure you're. And in also
3: th- because I think I can retire with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sophia, you get the last word. Peel off another one of these.
4: Yeah, I would love to touch on a down payment on a mortgage. I think that it really varies based on your situation, based on your cash reserves, based on your other debt that you have, based on your income. I tend to be more conservative and I would rather see clients put 20% down and avoid PMI. However, I would much rather have clients maintain their emergency savings and keep more cash on hand than completely deplete their cash reserves in order to make a, you know, put a down payment on a home. So, I really think that this one is where it can be really helpful to have a financial planner on your team to help you navigate through this because you know, it might be in your best interest to pay off some additional debt and take on the mortgage with PMI if it's going to free up cash reserves by getting that other debt knocked out. So there's, I think, a lot of different ways to navigate through this. And it's really important to figure out how does this apply to your situation specifically? And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer in terms of how much to put down on a mortgage because there are a lot of different options now.
0: Man, am I excited about our guest today, guys? Because usually here we talk about Friday FinTech, but you know what? What if we take tech and we instead combine it with health? Like, what does that do for your wallet when you actually have the energy to get stuff done? You don't get the afternoon sleepies, you feel better about yourself between confidence, weight loss, good health, active lifestyle, good nutrition. I think that's the basis for everything we talk about here. And sadly, we don't talk about it enough. So we decided today to go look for the spot where our Friday FinTech can intersect health. And you know what? A company doing some huge work in the area of data when it comes to health is MetPro. And well, you know what? Rather than me explain all about it, why we're talking about them here today, let's let uh, them talk about it. Excited upstairs talking to mom from MetPro our new friend, Angela Poli. And walking down the stairs to the basement, our new friend from
5: MetPro, Angela Poli. How are you, man? I am doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm so happy that you're here with us because OG and I both, you know, we worry about money, but we worry about health. And I think that's something more people need to do.
5: Don't you? Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, I I feel like a little bit of the black sheep, but honored to be here as I'm not directly in uh, the finance industry, but I have the privilege of working with people in finance, on Wall Street, executives, CEOs, et cetera, um, and specializing, really getting to know their mindset and what allows them to be successful both in health and in life. And so.
0: Well, what's funny is, is that I know a little bit about you. We, you know, we do some research here in the basement. Shockingly. Little,
5: uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> Shocking to everybody. But you started MetPro because of your own personal stuff happening in your life. Talk about your personal story. Cause I found this really fascinating.
5: It was brutal. I injured my back when I was young. And I had already started in the path of fitness and wellness, and I didn't want to leave my area. So I couldn't hand people dumbbells, I couldn't do jumping jacks in the gym. So I really started specializing in the strategy nutrition. And that's what led me to metabolism. And it's not that metabolism is the overarching secret to everything. It's just the most misunderstood area of the transformation process. Whatever somebody wants to accomplish, whether it's to have more energy in their lives, spend more time with the grandkids, be more focused on work and productivity, Lose weight, obviously, that's a big one. Gain muscle, that's also a big one. The metabolism really is the secret to unlocking the key. So that became my specialty. So I was able to stay in the fitness and wellness industry while I recovered from my from my injury. And now fast forwarding about a you know, decade or more, we're having a lot of fun and seeing a lot of people transform. It's been great. Did that lead directly, though, to MetPro? How was MetPro created? Great question. So there's a few steps. So that led to me working a lot with actually the physique industry, which I know probably a lot of people are going, What? Bodybuilders, yeah, just like uh, me. Physique models, just, just like, like you. <laughs> you know, the whole nine yards where working with someone who says, look, I need to be a, you know, 4% body fat standing on the stage in six weeks, you know, give me the bite for bite menu and routine to get there. That's where it started, but it snowballed. It went from there to working with athletics. I had the honor and privilege of working with um, a few of the highest paid athletes in the world who were just a blast to really dive in on that level. And then that morphed into more the executive finance lifestyle. So people who, are very busy. They have a lot of responsibility. They need to have the secret sauce to get from point A to point B because there's so many opinions and strategies out there. How do you know what one is right if you have limited time? that's where, where we came in. And so that's what we spend our time doing these days.
0: It seems like there's a lot of crossover between finance and health, where there's a lot of, there's a lot of people chasing like the hot stock. Oh geez. You know, you you know, chasing the, chasing the next best thing. I bet it's, I bet it's this. it's gotta be the same in the health industry. Everybody's chasing the next thing. What's the hot thing today?
5: You know, the parallel you make is exceptional in both industries. It takes decision-making it takes research, it takes education, and it takes strategy. If you go into it without having a specific goal and strategy, you can't measure anything. You don't know if you're making progress or backsliding. And I'll tell you what every successful investor, entrepreneur, Wall Street, what everybody realizes is that their health is a commodity. Yeah. Do you get busy at work and end up you know, skipping lunch, hitting the drive through on the way home? you just sold. Did you skip your workout for the day or for the week because you're stressed out or doing extracurricular activities? You just sold. Health is something you want to buy. And there's a right way to do it. And there's a less efficient way to do it. And that's really where me and my company live, is helping people optimize how to implement that.
0: I want to talk about specifically in a minute how MetPro works, because that's what this segment's all about. But before that, you you talked about about metabolism and about how metabolism is the centerpiece for you. Why people throw around this word metabolism, I don't think half people even understand what metabolism's all about. Tell me why that's the linchpin to everything, Angelo.
5: Because it's the least fair element of everything. There is no parity. In other words, everybody has two eyes, two hands. We figure everyone's somewhat equal, right? But it's just not, it doesn't work that way. You can have two people, seemingly similar demographics, circumstance, activity levels, body type, go on the same diet or the same training program or the same wellness strategy and get completely polar opposite results, So everyone out there is trying to come up with what's the solution. They're asking, what's the best diet? What's the best workout? What's the best strategy? They're really asking the wrong question because the answer is different for everyone. What they need to be asking is, how do I evaluate what is and isn't working today for me and my body and therefore assess the specific action steps i should take next and so that's what metpro which is actually short for metabolic profiling does is it gives us a baseline to assess how our body is responding to a specific dietary tact or a specific fitness tact and then adjust based on what we're seeing
3: i think it's funny because this sounds exactly like the financial planning process that we go through with clients i was just talking with somebody right before you came down to the basement and they were talking about how they're really concerned about market volatility and losing a whole bunch of money and spent a lot of time talking with them about how financial planning is uniquely personal and what works for me and what I can tolerate and what's acceptable to me in terms of the ups and downs may not work for somebody else. And just because the answer for me is this specific prescription, so to speak, uh doesn't necessarily mean that that's the same for everybody else and it sounds like it's just interestingly parallel to to the work that you're doing and saying you know what works for this person may not work exactly for that person so let's find out exactly what works for you measure progress make make
5: changes and adjustments along the way that's exactly right yes that's what so many people are craving. They want direction. A lot of people feel that, uh, well, I don't have the willpower to follow through with something or uh, you know, I don't have the time in my schedule. When really what it boils down to is if they felt confidence in a specific strategy, plan of attack, most people are willing to make some sacrifice to buy health. It's just having confidence that they're going to see that return on investment. One of the greatest motivators is progress. But if you spend your time, you invest your time and money into something that's not yielding a return, you're going to get discouraged and give up. And that's exactly what happens with nutrition, with diets, with exercise. If you pair a specific body type a metabolic state with the wrong approach, you feel like you're spinning your wheels, you're not seeing that return on investment, why are you going to keep going? So, What we're focused on is really getting to know the person. We look at their body type. We look at their lifestyle. How much do you travel? How often do you eat socially? What time do you actually have set aside for exercise? And oh, by the way, if it's only a few minutes, that's okay. Let's build a strategy around that. We look at their past nutritional history, their past training history, and we get to know who they are and what motivates them that's how we help them get from point A to point B. And I'm sure I imagine that it's it's very much the same way uh, in, yeah. in the world of finance.
0: Well, let's dive in the, then, Angelo. So if I'm working with MetPro and if everything's different for all of us, how does that process begin? What do you guys do to set somebody off on the right journey?
5: The first thing we're going to do is we're going to get a metabolic baseline because that's going to set the tone for our recommendations. What we're going to use is a parsing meal plan or a baseline benchmark. That's the word I'm looking for, a benchmark meal plan where I'm going to say, "Okay, Johnny, I want you to eat this for X amount of days. And then he says, "Okay, great. How much do you want me to exercise? What else do you want me to change? nothing. I want you to change nothing. Just eat this, eat this at breakfast, at snack, at lunch, so on. Because what I'm looking for is I have had literally thousands of people of your demographic, body type, genetics, et cetera, et cetera, follow this benchmark plan. And so I know statistically what averages should be. I'm going to see how your body responds. And based on Any deviation from that average, I'm going to use that data to now customize your routine using weight loss because it's just such a common illustration that most people can relate to. If I put someone on a benchmark meal plan and they lose five pounds in the first week. Their moving forward strategy is going to look very different from the person who loses no weight or actually gains a pound on the benchmark meal plan. For that person, we have to completely redesign their nutritional strategy and their training strategy. And oh, by the way, the best training strategy is the one that's going to work from a time management perspective that you can actually follow through with. So all of those things play a part in what we're going to do when we first meet you and get to know you and start talking through the process.
0: It just as an aside, I've been doing some photography training and stuff for our social media, which I can't. Social media drives me crazy, but <laughs> it drives us crazy too. When you're I'm honest, still trying so. to figure it out, <laughs> but this whole thing, it's, it's, it's funny how it transcends industries because somebody was, was, uh, teaching me this and they said, Hey Joe, which camera is the best one to use? And I'm like, well, I was just about to ask you the same one. They said the one that you'll use <laughs> because if you use it and that's what you're talking about, right? The one that fits yeah. into your lifestyle that you can use, Angelo is the one that's going to work. I get
5: calls every day, what you know? What do you think of ketogenic? What do you think of cyclical fasting? What do you think of vegan? What do you think of this, that, the other? Because there's always different strategies. And my answer is, I have seen every single approach work. I've seen them all work. But it's which one is gonna work for you right now? Where do you personally have the leverage? It would be like walking into a garage and, you know, mechanic working on your car and saying, Hey, I was just wondering, I see all the tools you got out here, which one's the best, the screwdriver or the wrench? I hear, I hear good things about the screwdriver this time of year. (laughs) They all work. It's a matter of application. And, and unfortunately what happens is a lot of times a solid scientific strategy gets misapplied and that can be devastating it can have potential health consequences it can slow someone's progress down and so those are the things that having education and and structure and guidance can prevent
0: obviously i like this approach where you're taking one input and you're looking at that i guess then after you know you talked about diets first then is exercise second and something else is third or how does it work from there
5: it is not that exercise is less important. Yeah. It's that it's going to be, it is a smaller lever in a time managed scenario. So what that means is if you said to me, I want to do XYZ in 14 days, I want to change my body composition, see a shift in my weight, or whatever the circumstance is, your exercise is going to be the long-term investment. Over time, you get compounding interest on your exercise. Most people that I talk with need to spend six weeks getting in shape to be able to exercise, to exercise. at the level yeah. that will even impact yeah. their body. Yeah, They just have to get in shape to exercise. Whereas, you know, I work with, you know, what's not uncommon for me is I may get someone in the entertainment industry, movie business. I got this role. I have this part. I have to wear this outfit on this day at 2 p.m. and I need to fit and look good in it. What do I do? Well, the first thing I'm going to talk about is bite for bite what they're going to eat between now and then. That doesn't mean that the exercise is less important. I'll give you one more illustration, though. I see this all the time. I'll go to the gym and I'll see the same people who are dedicated. And I applaud that they're dedicated that they're there every day, but their bodies and their health are staying about the same month after month, year after year. If somebody is used to exercising an hour a day, five days a week, but they're not happy with their results. I tell them stay home one day, dedicate that hour, reallocate its spot in your portfolio to food preparation and nutritional strategy, and see if it doesn't pay dividends on your investment.
0: That's that's good advice. I wanted to ask you next about, it, it sounds like then I get paired up with a coach. Well, OG's starting the process. OG's got a coach. Yeah. So
3: I can talk a little bit about this. I'm early on in the process having a great time. It's very, very difficult to follow the plan. I'll be honest as it relates (laughs) to, you know, and for me, and I can't wait to talk to Megan more about this because this is not an uncommon thing. Megan is your coach. Yep. Megan's my coach. Right. Sorry. So she's going to have an answer for it, which is, I'm super busy. How do I take all of this information and make it work for me? And I know what I really appreciated was kind of the onboarding process, to be honest. I'm not a big fan of onboarding (laughs) in general, (laughs) but I liked yours, just so you know, because you kind of had a big... It was like a big story that said, here's the obstacles that you're going to face. And we already know this in advance. And one of the things that you, that you go through is the food preparation and things like that. And it talks about, Hey, this is going to take you a while at the beginning, but eventually you're going to get really good at it. And you're going to get really fast at it as it relates to kind of planning this stuff on in advance. It's no different than from a financial planning standpoint that we work with, with clients. It's you have to invest the time. You've said that a couple of times. But where you put your focus is what you put your focus on. And so many of us go, Oh crap, it's two o'clock. I've had a handful of almonds and an apple today. I should probably eat something. And then that probably eat something is a handful of potato chips and uh, and six cookies. I mean <laughs> that's right. I mean, I'm not talking about me personally. <laughs>
5: Oh, of course not. But, but maybe a guy I know might've had that for lunch recently. You know, my next call is to Megan. Let yeah, the- you, you, you hit it on the- you're, you're, you're in trouble now. Busted. You hit the nail on the head. So the, the table stakes So I remember that benchmark, that parsing process that I mm-hmm. talked about? Yeah, so you know that, well. yeah, there you go. So you've just started. So that's what Megan's going to do with you. And yeah. so here's a little peek behind the curtain. At the end of about three to four days, she's going to determine whether you fall under what we internally call a strategic or metabolic style client. So if you fall under strategic, that means that you're going to get the most return on your investment by simple changes to implement balance, quality nutrition, efficient time management. By the way, if you fall into that category, your behavioral, or it's your lifestyle or habits, then welcome to about 85% of the population. And that's where our battleground is. And she's going to really drill down with you there. She's going to know that after the benchmark meal plan and the process. Now, if you were to come back and we determine you're a metabolic, that's for our listeners who are scratching their heads saying, well, well, gee, I I eat really clean and I exercise every day and yet I'm still not where I want to be. So for those people, it's not just about balance. It's about becoming a little bit more of a specialist in the area that's going to produce the exact result that you want. And in that case, we'll be honest and say, all right, OG, here's what you have to do. Like it or not, we have your results right here and they indicate that you got to do X, Y, and Z to get from here to there and let's build a strategy to get as close to what you need as possible.
3: As long as it doesn't include sweet potatoes, I am on board (laughs) because
5: I'm not touching them. I
3: don't care how healthy they are. It's an orange vegetable. It does not go in my mouth.
5: Everybody needs to know this. I am diet agnostic. So there's no one food that you have to eat. What I'm interested in is strategic. I'm interested in overall, what are we doing with our macronutrients, our calories, our our cycles, our timing, and our overarching strategy. There's no one magic food that if you eat, you're going to see progress. And if you miss, you're going to fail. So anybody can work it into their lifestyle. Uh, with this, this segment
0: is normally 10 minutes. We've had so much fun. We have blown that out of the water. We're at 20, (laughs) which is good. I like, I like the fact that it's a Uh, podcast, so we don't have somebody like a radio person screaming in our ears. So we could, we could do this, but I do have to ask this, you know, at the end of our segment, we ask questions about the fees and how, how then do you guys get paid? Angela? how do people pay you when they work with you?
5: That also is individual based on what a person needs Most people are going to be able to get off the ground and get started for under a thousand. Some people will spend quite some time with us. Uh, In fact, just yesterday I was on with one of my clients who's down 101 pounds. So he's been working with us for a, a little bit longer, well over a year now. Whereas other people will hire us more for the education and so you know their their barrier of entry of course is going to be a little lower and they work with us for an amount of time to still really get the sense of it but to be able to take what they learn and apply that in their lives ironically we work with a lot of doctors who want to really refine and learn more about the metabolism in this particular area of nutrition so it is accessible for most people doctors walking
0: the talk too that's cool Right. That is awesome. And everybody beginning with the end in mind, having a coach, well, we don't talk about any of that. OG. <laughs> Never. This is, this sounds like quackery. <laughs> what are you talking about? Making so much <laughs> sense, Angelo.
5: <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs>
0: That's great. Uh, to get more information, uh, metpro.co, right?
5: That's it. Metpro.co.
0: Angelo Poli, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking MetPro with us and good health. I appreciate it.
5: Thanks for having me guys.
1: Hey, Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it is time to tweak the formula for this podcast. I've developed a list of 87 ways this show could be way better, and that's just since I performed today's amazing introduction. I'm full of these things. Listen to this. Number 43, fireworks after every segment. Number 18, a live studio audience. Number 3, no doze for the listeners, and that's one of my personal favorites. Also, number 11, a laugh track. <laughs> Obviously, laugh tracks make every formula better, right? <laughs> hey, speaking of formula, one company that's had a successful formula for a long time is Coca-Cola, who celebrated their birthday today. Here's today's question: What year was Coca-Cola invented? I'll be back with today's refreshing answer just after I take advantage of show improvement number 33, Cookies for the help. Um, nom, nom, nom. Ah.
0: All right, we coached Sophia on the very complicated rules to this game. Do you get the complicated rules to this game?
4: Yeah, thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, OG, give us the score because we've been keeping score since the beginning of the year for an undetermined prize. I'm sorry, uh, unrevealed prize.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, yours truly is uh, smoking everybody still with five wins. Uh, Len, who apparently can't, be bothered to come back after he wins the week before a victory lap or something. He's at three and Paula hanging out with two.
0: And, uh, mm-hmm. Sophia, you get to play on behalf of Len this week. So congratulations, Paula, Thank you. you get to decide whether you're going to go first in the middle or last on the year. Coca-Cola was invented.
2: I will guess last.
0: Mm, that's strange. So Sophia first or in the middle? Middle. Hmm, that's also strange, which means which means OG is going I'm to go. I'm trying fr- to figure out why Shock I'm always shocks. last.
3: I know you said it's because it's because I'm in the lead, but
0: shouldn't it be whoever won last? No, it's last? whoever's in the lead goes last. This and then ridiculous. if there's a tie, that's the tiebreaker. Well, right. once once again, the trivia, this whole game is under protest. I think it this is. whole podcast is probably under protest. So when did Coca-Cola?
3: What's their anniversary? Is that what you said?
0: It's their birthday, and yeah, the day they were invented. What year were they? Was Coca-Cola invented?
3: Crebus, Crebus. Okay.
0: Um, so I remember there's a picture of
3: President McKinley with a Coke. I'm just kidding. I don't have that information. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how old is Coca-Cola? Uh, ah, it seems like they've been around a long time. I'm going to say that Coca-Cola was invented in the year 1901.
0: 1901. Sophia, what do you think?
4: Okay. I'm going to say 1909.
0: 1909 for Sophia. Paula. Wow. <clears throat> you're up so, to bat. When I lived in Atlanta,
2: there was one year in which I had a season pass to the Coca-Cola museum. Of course.
4: <laughs> oh no, I remember this now.
2: <laughs> I we got. we went to...
0: We got the Coca...
2: Well, did you and I go together? We might have. Oh.
0: <laughs> we have the Coca-Cola <laughs> ringer in the house and the Coca-Cola <laughs> person who can't remember. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got the season pass because whenever uh, out-of-town visitors would come, I'd take them to the Coca-Cola Museum. And there's a big tasting room there mm. where you can try Coca-Colas from around the world.
0: Oh, awesome. I did so, that at uh, uh, Epcot. Epcot has that, too. <laughs> yeah, they you know, do. Yes, Coors the whole Brewing thing.
2: also has a tasting room.
0: <laughs> uh, who does? Coors, the beer oh, company. Well, I would prefer that. But anyway.
2: <laughs> However... I'm about to embarrass myself because in spite of being a former season pass holder, I do not know the year in which Coca-Cola was invented. However, I am glad that both of the previous guesses were in the 1900s because I do deep down inside believe that it happened sometime in the 1800s. And given that it's closest without going over, and I am of the belief that anything in the 1900s is over... There is therefore no penalty for guessing too far under. So I'm going to guess way far under and just register a guess as 1800, even though really I think it was probably like 1880. But, you know, there's no penalty for guessing too far under. So 1800.
0: What if it's 1789? (laughs) 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 I think that would be awesome. But all right, we've got OG at 1901, Sophia at 1909, Paula at 1800. Just like any good self-respecting podcast, we're going to make you wait to find out the answer. Well, thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacky Benjamins. You know how much we love Skillshare, not just because there's millions of other students already learning to be better creators there, and not because there's more than 27,000 classes in design, business, personal finance, photography, what, what else have we... There's, there's everything. And not because you'll discover countless ways to feel your curiosity, creativity, and career, because the teachers there are seriously good. I mean, when I'm learning about graphic design from people affiliated with the Smithsonian, and I'm learning the basics that I really need to learn in a way that's enjoyable so that immediately my graphics begin getting better. And then when I'm learning digital photography, now I hold the camera in my hand and I have a clue what I'm doing. Doesn't make me an expert yet Neither one of those, but Skillshare already has given me the base that I need to get me on the way there. So whether you're looking to discover a new passions, start a side hustle or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to help you start learning and thriving. To sign up, you went to Skillshare.com slash SB and you know what's going to happen? They're going to give you two months of Skillshare free. So you can Try it out. Take as many classes as you'd like. I'm on uh, just beginning month number four of Skillshare. So join millions of students already learning on Skillshare. Get two months of Skillshare free. Skillshare is offering Stacky Benjamins listeners two months unlimited access. Over 27,000 classes for free at Skillshare.com slash SB. Oh, gee, you said 1901 for the year Coca-Cola was invented. Sophia gave you eight years of breathing room. That was nice of her.
4: Yeah,
3: fantastic.
0: (laughs) Sophia, 1909, feeling pretty good? I think
4: Paula's got me. And uh,
0: Paula, 1800. Why didn't you say just year 1800 BC? Year (laughs) zero.
4: Yeah, 1800 BC. In
2: the year of our Lord, one on Odomini. Yes,
0: Absolutely. All right, Doug, uh, when was Coca-Cola invented?
1: Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and here's show improvement idea number 22 on my list. Free prizes for the trivia winner. And oh, number 60, cowbells, after I say something awesome. Here was today's question. What year was Coca-Cola invented? Well, Coca-Cola, named after two of its original ingredients, coca leaves and cola nuts, was originally intended as a medicine by John Stith Pemberton. Pemberton had been a Confederate colonel in the Civil War and after being wounded, like many soldiers, became addicted to morphine. He originally called it Pemberton's French Wine Coca Nerve Tonic, but later, when Prohibition passed in Georgia, he changed the formula to a non-alcoholic version called Coca-Cola in the year 1886. Get it right? No need for better trivia, then. We already got that one nailed. At least one part of this podcast is good, as is.
2: See ya! Woohoo! Uh, You know what's funny about that is that even my inclination of 1880, which for the record, you all heard me say that that's what I thought it was. Even that was spot on.
0: Paula is so victorious. She just dropped her microphone.
2: (laughs) Dropped the mic. I literally just dropped the mic. Seriously.
0: Just she's done. Yeah.
2: (laughs) and (laughs) Uh, That season pass came
3: in handy.
0: That feels good. And Paula moves back into a tie with Len. Tied for
3: the basement. Congratulations! <laughs> Just to let you know, I've got at least two Fridays on you. <laughs> the,
0: the, the, he is safe until uh, until maybe mid uh, mid April. Mid April, yes. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, you know what you find? You find that those financial products you use every day, they're nowhere near best in class because over 92%, 92%, Sophia, of the products available online are all ranked at Magnify Money. Did you know that? I didn't. It's amazing. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. The average person saves 450 bucks when they compare either the better benefits of a savings account, lower fee checking accounts, credit card reward points, or less money to the man if you don't pay off your credit cards every month. Please don't play the reward point game if you don't pay your credit cards off every month. Uh, but if you do, there's better choices at MagnifyMoney, stackybenjamins.com forward slash MagnifyMoney. We got a great question today from our new friend, Rob. Say hi, Rob.
5: Hey, guys. My name is Rob, and I'm a high school teacher in Maryland. Quick question for you. I hear all the time people saying, I wish I had learned this in high school. Well, I have the opportunity to teach personal finance to high school seniors, and I want to know... What are the top things that you think high school seniors should know before they leave high school and head out into the real world, whether that's for college or career or just to figure out the next step? Appreciate it.
0: Great question. Thanks for the question, Rob. And Sophia, what do you think? High schoolers, what's the number one thing they should know?
4: Yeah, the power of compound interest and how a Roth IRA can be a huge benefit to them. their financial future.
0: Awesome. And explain that for the high schoolers listening now for both of them.
4: Yeah. So you can contribute to a Roth IRA when you have earned income. So even if you are in high school or you're in college and you have a part-time job, you can contribute to a Roth IRA and that money grows tax-free for the future. The current maximum you can put into a Roth IRA is $6,000 per year. And I started my Roth IRA when I was eighteen years old. Did with you a summer really? Theater job that I had, yeah, with five hundred bucks. That's um, really cool. Yeah, and so I think that it's one of those things that I, uh, I think I read it in like "Smart Women Finish Rich" by David Bach, and I thought that that was really useful and helpful to know about. And I wish that it was something that they taught in schools so that more people would would start those earlier.
0: What did you invest it in when you were eighteen?
4: I went to the credit union on campus and they helped me choose a mutual fund to invest the money in.
0: That is awesome. Paula, how about you? Something a high schooler should know.
2: The number one thing that I would tell a high schooler is to commit that for the rest of their life, they will never buy a car that is within its first four years. So only buy cars that are four years old or older. And if you just do that one thing consistently throughout your life, That alone will save you tens of thousands of dollars. And if you were to take that price difference and invest it, I mean, now we're talking
0: probably a six-figure difference. Buy all your Lamborghinis used. (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Buy a five-year-old Bentley
0: instead of the newest model. That's right. Oh, gee, how about you, high schoolers?
3: Well, back to Paula's point. Obviously, she hasn't driven a five-year used Bentley before. They're terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the tires are ridiculous by the
3: High school students, I would say the biggest thing is is that you don't have to try to be as cool as everybody else. I remember when I was in high school, I worked a ton from the time I was 11 on. I've always, always had you know money in my pocket, basically. And one of the things that I distinctly remember was making sure that I always had the best stuff that I could possibly get, whether it was clothes or the, all of the CDs, <laughs> this is dating me a little bit, but you know, whatever the newest album was, I made sure that I had it and things like that. And no one actually cares about that. And it took until my twenties talking about what Paul said about, uh, used cars. I distinctly remember buying a used car and this was my third car that I purchased. So I had purchased two brand new. And this was the third one that I had purchased since getting out of college. And, and I remember feeling very disgusted with myself that I was driving a used car. I mean, I was successful and I had a family and for crying out loud, I should be able to afford a new car. About a year later, I was driving down the road and the odometer turned over 30,000. And I, I thought, Oh my gosh, I thought I was driving way less than this now with this kind of new role I had, but I guess I'm still driving as much, you know, 30,000 miles in a year. How about it? And it was about another five miles down the road that then it hit me that I bought it with 15,000 miles on it. And that was the moment for me that I realized that if I couldn't remember whether or not I had the newest thing, then nobody else could remember either. So I think this kind of goes into, you know, debt or, kind of keeping up with the Joneses in whatever form or fashion, whether it's the best school or it's the best pair of jeans or it's the best automobile or whatever the case is. Um, just be happy.
0: Mine would be Rob. When, uh, I used to speak at high schools, it always seemed like every question was a form of how the hell do I get into debt up to my eyeballs? like how do i make sure my credit report's good how do i get a credit card how do i get a car loan how do i get a house loan everything was about loan 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 and nothing was about building assets so nobody asked what sophia said which was compounding interest and in how do i build a roth ira it was always the opposite and i would say the biggest thing i'd hope people know is that debt sucks that just yeah. paying for crap that you bought before sucks cuz you can't focus on the you can't focus on the future so I love those guys. Nice job. Rob, thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, send those to, uh, well, head to stackybedjamins.com. And at the top of the site there, you'll see questions for the show. Click on that link and uh, you could hear us also answer your question. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Let's talk about what's going on where you live um, in in the interest of uh, giving our guests the last word. OG, what's uh, coming up for you this weekend?
3: I think this is an absolutely free weekend. Next week, I got a little travel for some uh, fun things, and it's almost the end of tax season. So so when I say free weekend, I mean just finishing up all the tax work oh, that we tax do. Ricky huck.
0: Paula, what's <laughs> happening over there at affordanything.com and the amazing Afford Anything podcast?
2: On affordanything.com, I gave a talk at Google, which is Woo-hoo! like one of those fancy grown-up things that I did this one time. And so on afford anything.com, you can see a video of a talk that I gave at Google in my own life. I've been traveling a lot. So I was in LA and then I was in New York and now Austin, uh, going Sophia's fleeing the city. Um, <laughs> Ooh, the,
0: ahead of you. the
2: minute that I arrive in Austin, Sophia leaves. So you can follow along all of that on Instagram where I'm very, very active. I post every single day. My Instagram handle is at Paula Pant, P-A-U-L-A, P-A-N-T. And then, of course, the Afford Anything podcast, where we've always got a bunch of great guests talking about uh, everything from the alter ego effect to to Joe, you, you and I answering questions from the audience.
0: We have so much fun doing that. I'm so happy that uh, I get to take part in that because you've got some fun questions over there, too. Uh, Sophia, thank you so much for joining
4: us. Thank you. This was so much fun, you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Such a blast having you. Tell everybody what's happening at Gen Y Planning.
4: I'm really excited. I'm getting ready to move. So that's a big thing. So that's what I'm doing this weekend is packing up my apartment. But, you know, we keep coming out with, with new blog posts based on all these great questions that clients are asking. And it's been really fun to be able to create a stock series on and what are ISOs versus NSOs and RSUs and kind of the alphabet soup of stock has been coming up a lot. It's been a blast to be able to help clients navigate through their stock options and help them reach their goals. And I just feel really lucky to get to work with people across the country. And it doesn't matter where I am or where they are. It's just really cool to be able to, to help people and Like I said earlier, see them use their money to match their values, to live a great life.
0: It's so amazing how much fun you can have just with technology and you can get help no matter where you are physically. It almost doesn't matter.
4: Yeah, it's so great. I built my business. I started my business almost six years ago and I built it very intentionally as a location independent business. And at the time, other financial planners just thought that that was crazy. But I was watching people like Paula, who had had financial blogs for some time, be able to really create uh, quite a following. And, and she was really a big inspiration to me launching my own company. And, and I just Aww. feel like I really look to the financial bloggers to kind of lead the way for this virtual financial planning practices like mine to really take shape. And it's it's really All of you were really the early adopters of using that tech in a way that really created a trust with your audience. And I really think that a lot of what I do, I can relate to a lot of financial bloggers more than I can more traditional (laughs) financial planners. So it's been really fun to me to be on this journey and to see how these businesses have taken shape and how you're able to reach so many people through the podcast. So I'm just so honored to be here.
0: It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. And by the way, thank you. But you're a trailblazer as much as we are. So yeah, absolutely. Well, take it from here, Doug. Uh, What should we have learned today, man? So
1: what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Sophia Barra and the gang. Don't just use some rule of thumb to manage your money. With all the tools we talk about here every week, hopefully you're learning that creating your own plan is way better than relying on some outdated truism about how it should be done. There were air quotes there. Second, take some advice from Angelo Poli at MetPro. Your health is the engine that runs everything. Your productivity, your ability to earn a living, and especially the energy to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But the big lesson? Maybe the... Add bagpipes to the podcast idea. 79 on my list. Shouldn't be on there. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, am I kidding? It's awesome. Special thanks to certified financial planner Sophia Barra for joining us. You'll find Sophia at genyplanning.com. Thanks also to Angelo Poli from MetPro for joining us. Find MetPro at Metpro.co forward slash SB for more. They'll also be joining us starting next week as a show sponsor. Hey, that's awesome. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. Woo! This show was created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Richie Rutter Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks. But like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
0: Welcome to the After Show. Sophia, this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens here stays here. We don't talk about the After Show, all right? (laughs) I'm scared. It's like Fight Club. (laughs) Yes, it's like Fight Club. Uh, No reason, but well, there is a reason to be scared, just because it's going to get even, the jokes are going to get even worse than they have been in the past, because it's time to play (laughs) our little uh, trivia game that uh, won't go away. This is corny jokes to tell kids you love and adults you hate. But the cool thing about these corny jokes is that you can discern the punchline very easily, I think, just from the question. So we're going to play two rounds of this. We'll do one point for the first round. If you can come up with the punchline, I'll ask you the question. You come up with a punchline, you get one point. In the second round, you get two points. And this is a game where the points don't matter because uh, I, have no, I have no prize. The prize. Joe, do we just yell out the uh, punchline? Oh, maybe we should play it that way. I wasn't yes. thinking yeah. about playing it that way, but let's totally play it that way. Yeah. All, right. All right. All right. All right. So we're gonna go. We're gonna go five of these then. All right. We're changing oh, everything. All right. Here we go. Ready? Question number one. I gotta play the music.
3: I'll preface this with: I will suck at this game.
0: Question number one: Why do bicycles fall over? They're too tired. Oh! Oh! Bam. Oh! Oji gets wow. the first one.
2: Oh! How did you come up with that?
0: I usually
3: suck at these, so that's probably wow. the
2: only one.
0: Number two. Why did I sell my vacuum the other day?
2: It sucked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, but that's not the right answer, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> Anybody? Stop sucking. I don't know. All it was doing was collecting dust. Mm.
4: Ah. <laughs> no, answer more.
0: Uh, number three What do elves learn in school? Hmm. Hmm. What do elves learn in school? The alphabet. Uh, Oh. Come on. All right, let's do this one. Bacon and eggs walk into a bar. The bartender says, sorry. Bacon and eggs walk into a bar. The bartender says, sorry. We don't serve breakfast. Uh-huh. Aha <laughs> <laughs> What did Cinderella say when her photos didn't show up? It must be past midnight. Someday my prince will come.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a good
0: one. <laughs> I thought somebody's <laughs> going to get that one. All right. Uh, I like this one. I'm not going to do this one, but I do like this one. After dinner, my wife asked if I could clear the table. I had to get a running start, but I made it. That was bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Did you hear about what happened to the two guys who stole a calendar? Two guys stole a calendar. What happened to them? Mm,
2: they They. Made off with a date. They found a date.
0: Oh, you're so close.
2: They got a date.
0: You're so close. We're going to give it to Paula, but it's they each got six months.
2: Oh. Oh. (laughs) I was
0: trying to figure out how to do
3: time. I I was trying to think of something like they were doing time or something. Mm.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. I I wasn't close at all. I was thinking date as in like a, a date uh dating date.
0: Oh, but you, well, you were, I don't know. You were, you were close enough. It's now one, one. (laughs) I got to make this exciting somehow. Sophia's like, when the hell does this end?
4: (laughs) I'm just so bad at that.
0: If if I just shut off my computer. (laughs) 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 Number, the next one, we got it. We got a one, one. Maybe we'll play till somebody reaches three. Let's do that instead of five. Uh, Why couldn't the pony sing? It's uh, a was horse. You're close. Was he was a little horse. He ah. was a little horse. <laughs> OG2, Paula One, Sophia praying that we're close to done. <laughs> yes. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? This is a dirty job. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. That's not the one. Supplies. Ha! Uh, all right uh next uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> that one's dumb that one's well these are all dumb <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't use that as nobody's a threshold.
4: inviting me to trivia night i don't think
0: <laughs> how, how about this one uh sophia are you a lady gaga fan yes okay Uh-oh. how do you make lady gaga mad
4: i don't know I got nothing.
0: Paula OG. How do you make Lady Gaga mad? Oh, come on. People are screaming at their device right now. Uh. Poker face. Uh. Okay.
4: Uh. All I could think of was like all of the new stuff from the movie. Like those were the only songs that were coming to my mind.
0: Why don't big cats play poker in the safari? Because they'd be lying. Oh, nice, but not not there. So close. Why don't they play poker in the safari? Too many cheetahs. Big, big...
5: Yeah.
0: Okay. Is it, were, That's were, were, what I was going to say. Well, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I
4: really <laughs> thought there was a cougar <laughs> joke in
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> Why did the man get fired from the orange juice factory?
3: Something about the squeeze.
0: Very close, but not quite. A lack of concentration. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're gonna play to whoever reaches two. I already have two. <laughs> oh, we're gonna play to whoever gets the next one.
2: <laughs>
0: what is a sp- do when he gets cold. Orchestrates a cover-up. I think we got to give that to him. He goes undercover. Yeah. And the winner. The guy who Mm -hmm. says he's horrible at this. Oh, gee. (laughs) Sophia. Wait, like three of 40.
4: (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) bad. I wasn't even close. I couldn't. There's nothing.
3: Yeah, this is a dumb game. Oh, come on. That's why it goes in the back end of the show that nobody listens <laughs> to.
4: <laughs> and next time there's a karaoke sing-off. Right, Paula? Totally. We should <laughs> karaoke sing-off. With Lady Gaga. With
3: Ga- La- right. Gaga songs. Yep. Okay.
4: Arizona sky burning in your eyes. Looks from the new album.
3: It's my uh, my eight-year-old's favorite Lady Gaga song is the one where, he, where she says uh, she's going to brush her teeth with a bottle of Jack.
2: That's a Kesha song.
3: Oh, that's Kesha. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: That tells wow, you everything
3: I, I need to know reference? about uh, how I know. Yeah. That was a,
2: <laughs> P- who
1: the hell Kesha, are you? Lady where is,
3: where is Paula? Aren't they the same people?
2: Yeah. I just got a pop culture. This day, this episode is going down in history. I got co- the episode.
0: Kesha, darn. Here, I thought I was really culture. <laughs> that's right. I got goosebumps, Paula. It was incredible, Sophia. Goose, you have Goose no idea. Was a
2: series of books written by R.L. Stein. <laughs> hashtag oh Other pop culture
0: reference. Wow! <laughs> Look H- at that. We got. Would you like to make a speech to quit while you're on top? I, I'd like to tell a joke. Oh boy! <clears throat> All right.
2: <clears throat> what did the caveman say when his suit got altered really fast? Oh boy! Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs>